Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. I want you to play a game with me, Ray. I don't want to play a game. Oh, please. No. I said play a game with me, Ray, man. Right. Lovely. I want you to imagine a character. Your boss, Mickey Pearson. You're too smart to be blackmailing us, Fletcher. Yeah. Sweet Mary Jane is my vice. You are poison, on the other hand. 
is and always has been the destroyer of worlds. You're out of touch, and I would like you to consider an offer. I am not for sale. The plot begins to thicken. Now, I can't be specific about the heroes and zeros, but our protagonist is a hungry animal. <laughs> there is a lot of money hanging in the balance. Our antagonist explodes on the scene like a millennial firework and has indirectly started a war. I think you need to see this, boss. I still want my firearms. How do they find it? Make inquiries. His name is Fahok. We're spelt with a PH, so it sounds like Fahok. Please! Harry Fahok, Kanda Fahok. Please! Welcome back. You're cozying up with the film board from the next reel on rashpixel.fm. We spoil movies, and this month we're celebrating the Lunar New Year of the Rat with a Guy Ritchie movie about organized crime released in part by Miramax. I know that sounds like 20, literally 20 years ago, but this is now 2020, and our January new release is The Gentleman, showing in a theater near you. I am so excited to talk about this movie and what it means to watch gangsters talk in graphically cryptic metaphors given today's climate. Is it still fantasy? Is it political reality? Which came first, the creativity or the experience? But before we get started, I would like you to do us a favor, though, uh, because over time, our show has been through a lot and our audience out there knows a lot about it. I would like you to find out what's happening with the whole situation with the Next Reel's extended family of podcasts at thenextreel.com. There are fun ways to join us in our wide world of global conversation cousins there. So whatever you can do, it's very important you can do it if that's possible. (laughs) Even though I'm not seriously turning the screws here, it still feels creepy and gross to me to talk this way. No. Read the transcripts. Okay. Uh, In all seriousness, (laughs) the the best way to support our shows is over at patreon.com slash the next reel so we can keep the stream flowing strong. Come on, team. Get the game with us. Yeah. Super fun out here. Okay. Okay. Let's introduce our host tonight. A warm welcome to the lion in our jungle, Pete Mickey Wright. You're the f***. Oh, oh, God. <laughs> Sorry. Swear, the swearing is just so natural There's after seeing this movie, apparently. I'm so and sorry. A, and hopefully a more mild hello to his sturdy consigliere, Steve Ray Sarmento. Well, I've got glasses on and I'm going to speak slowly and quietly and you're going to assume I know more than you do. <laughs> I love it. And don't forget the muscle of our gang, Tommy Bunny Handsome. Oi, bro, I think this is a bloody double bubble. All right. <laughs> That's all I ever heard of this entire movie. Double bubble. I love it. Double bubble. Great. <laughs> Along with a lot of synonyms for pot. Y'all know me as JJ, and I'll be showing up as the sometimes awkward, potentially creepy storyteller for this one. Uh, I would normally be reluctant about that, but I think it really worked as a plot device in this movie. So let's jump right in to the gentleman. Gentlemen, tell me your initial thoughts. Tommy, what do you think of this one? Uh, I think it's telling that the opening credits had images from the film you were about to watch dissolving into smoke. Okay. Because that's kind of what the film turned out to be for me. Like I had a good enough time in the theater and during the show, by the time I got to my car, so much of it had evaporated. Yeah. It's just style. There's almost no substance. I had a great time, but it's a tough one to sort of really hang on to because it's gossamer thin. 
Hot take. <laughs> Ooh, I like wow. that. Wow. And you may have just described Guy Ritchie's uh, filmography. Right. Uh, oh. <laughs> now, <laughs> but I don't know that that's a negative. I think there were positives in that, too. Uh, how about you, Steve? What did you think? Uh, I had a good time with this one. I'm a Guy Ritchie fan. I saw, you know, Lockstock in the theaters and was blown away with that. And then, you know, Love Snatch. This one, it's in that world, but it just feels a little bit more accessible and mainstream, which I think takes some of the teeth out of it. But I still really enjoyed his his world, his characters, and just had a good fun ride with this one. That's cool. That's uh, that's that's great. And I think that it, I think we're going to end up talking about Lockstock and Snatch a little bit uh, when we get into what's sort of meat of this film here. How about you, Pete? How did it hit you? Yeah, I, I feel like I'm uh, right with uh, you guys. I I had a really good time with so many different elements. And, uh, you know, as we pull apart each of the individual uh, performances, I think there was a lot to like in them. And so this movie is a, a gem in some very strong ways. And it also suffers in uh, two even bigger ways for me that that I, I think are, are really detracting, not the least of which is, and I don't want to spoil it for anybody, I do, I figured it out and I figured it out so easily and so <laughs> oh. like effortlessly that the okay. entire game of the movie was ruined for me. And I, I don't find <laughs> oh, Guy Ritchie no. movies or like Guy Ritchie mysteries to be terribly complicated. Uh, but yeah. but what I do expect is that the like the action spectacle that he gives me, the thuggery that he presents for me is so dynamic and wonderful that I don't really care so much about the the whodunit parts. And uh, this movie, it, it didn't live up to that bar. And so I found I was way too focused on the fact that I already know how it's going to end. I mean, I called it from the moment the antagonist was introduced and and how like I feel like I put it all together and was flow charting. And I'm not that <laughs> smart. Like it was no, I, this is not about me. That's right. So. You're usually knives in. Right. <laughs> as far as that the is a, go. Dami, I actually wrote, I haven't published my review yet, but that is a, a specific point I want to talk about. In an era of knives yeah. in, mm. you know, does this movie live up? So. Right. Sure. Well, that's interesting. And I, and I think, uh, you know, I want to I want to actually talk about the things that you knew, because I feel like uh, as in knives out, there's a lot to think that, you know, and one of the big there were a couple big surprises for me and then a couple of things that i felt like i knew too so i think that that's kind of something that i want to talk about with this film i for me it it actually settled up a little bit for me while i was watching i didn't i didn't know how much i was enjoying it so much i i chuckled quite a bit um i, I laughed and that isn't super common for me in movies uh and i did really enjoy it when i walked away it settled up because i i figured out that i really like the cast and different from the vintage Guy Ritchie that I'm used to, I knew most of these people already and I came in with a liking for them. So I liked watching what they did and what they did differently. So when I ended up flick charting it on my personal flick chart, it ended up winning a lot of things that I didn't expect it to win. And then what came over me was maybe that I really like what Tommy was talking about, Guy Ritchie's style. 
you know, going back to Man with Uncle, I think Man with Uncle is probably Man from Uncle is probably higher on my charts than everybody else. <laughs> Knives in the Man with Uncle, whatever. <laughs> yeah, all <laughs> of those so things. So broken. All of those movie titles, we know it. But anyway, so uh, I'm going to start. Ferrari versus Fiat <laughs> cars. <laughs> sure. Um, I'm going to try to run through a, a run through a quick synopsis of the film here. It, it's different than all of the ones that I have read. This is what I took away from the movie, and it's because I'm eliminating some of the frames and trying to talk about the story. So, uh, so quickly, just uh, do as it in Cockney. Do it in Cockney, as if I could. Okay. Matthew McConaughey's Mickey was a brilliant but poor American whose grades bought his way to English University, where he quite quickly started using those wiles for illicit pharmaceutical gains. How do you say pharmaceutical in Cockney? I don't mm. think I could do it. Okay. For, uh, for, he, for, for. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds about right. Uh, uh, Mickey built an empire through what one might even call proper politicking with the British gentry alongside a willingness for brutal violence when he deemed the situation necessitated it. His reputation put him in a place for attack both from within his black market and uh, from its outside as well. And he is scheming a mega deal to retire from it all with a fantastic egg to enjoy with his beloved wife. It all weaves together with a cast of caricatures that intermittently foil and foster his grand plan. Sounds like a Guy Ritchie movie, right? Very well done. Yes. Okay, okay. See, that's what I was thinking too. So uh, so uh, I, I want to start with this concept. Is this vintage Ritchie? Is this 2020 Ritchie going back to 2000 Ritchie? Is it tired or is it fresh um it sounds like we're 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 aping on his style a little bit we're liking some of the things you're doing but we're also we also get it right so so pete you knew what you were seeing here you knew it right away you had a flow chart so how did you feel about the style did it hit you okay do you is it bad or is it better no, and that that's the that's why it's easy to for me to apologize for this movie because I'm such a fan. And even though Jason Statham isn't around here and Vinnie Jones isn't around here, like it, it's fine. I, I'm with you. I know these guys. I know these faces. Uh, I love Eddie Marzan, and he's so gross <laughs> in this movie. And so, like the, the the style and tone are exactly what I've come to expect. And and uh, so, you know. Sherlock Holmes, for example, is is a pretty bright guy, and you may think I'm going <laughs> to totally follow follow the, the what Sherlock is doing here, and then he starts calling his shots in bullet time, and you're like, okay, I'm done paying any attention. I've been swindled away into this fantasy land, and that's okay because that's exactly what Guy Ritchie does. Like that is his strength, his singular strength, and and so I'm I'm okay getting swept away a little bit. Um, so I, for clarification's sake, you were saying Sherlock Holmes is a metaphor, not referring to the earlier Guy Ritchie Sherlock Holmes movie. I was saying no, Sherlock Holmes the Guy Ritchie movie because he does he remember oh, there's does that he... calling his shots thing when he's punching he's like I'm oh, gonna yeah. punch this guy in the face okay okay yeah. do this See, I thought you were referring to uh, a character in this movie who was acting like Sherlock Holmes. No, 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 no. That okay. was a metaphor because I, you yeah, know, I feel like great. all of his his prior movies. I'm I was not into King Arthur, and I was not into Aladdin, and I'm not into they, what all of the other stuff that he's done since then. I haven't been as into because this is for me. This is who I I know Guy Ritchie to be. This and, is his and bread and butter. It's his bread yeah. and butter, and I think he's this. You know, if we're going to look at him and at, at where his strengths are, uh, that's great. And and so I. I feel like he delivered on those points, uh, even if I found them predictable. And 
and I would say in terms of criticism, there's a sort of lack of energy or intensity to this movie that I feel like the 20 years ago Guy Ritchie, you know, had. Mm. And and I don't know what that is. There, And I'm really curious if you guys share that. I, I My hypothesis was that there's a bit of, of momentum lost moving back and forth between Fletcher's story time. And that, that I think, was an interesting uh, architecture mm. that got tired for me pretty quickly. Oh, no. That's what this whole movie's about, is about storytelling. You get that right from the beginning when he, he comes in. I mean, we start off Fletcher in in the apartment and he's got this story to tell of why they're going to pay him 20 million dollars and he he even has the screenplay right there we he talks about the type of movie it's going to be it's not going to be on a tiny screen it's not you know it's going to be more on grainy film stock not this digital it's all about him telling the story so for me that device worked that's what this was about it was about the storytelling particularly the moments that I found very in entertaining was he's telling the story he's trying to sell this story and there's points where he gets it wrong so then he's got to backpedal and say well no no okay let me tell that this is the way it is so we get some scenes you know his first attempt at what he guesses happens then he's told no that's not the way it went down so then he goes back and retells that and for me it's all about storytelling but he only did that once right Twice that I know. Of. Oh, he did I twice. recall, yeah, I I recall he did twice. twice. I and, and yeah. Steve, I wanna I wanna say, and I've I've sort of buried my point on that one because I think it's it it may end up being controversial, and that is that I found the affectation that Hugh Grant brought to the character of Fletcher, that's what made it tiresome for me. Oh, I was okay. exhausted by the Hugh Grant part of it after about five minutes of fun. And then I was just I couldn't I couldn't watch him. I couldn't listen to him. It was it was a real shortcoming, the film. And I know that's a controversial position because everything I've been reading now that I've seen the film has really showered praise on on what Hugh Grant brought. And I love the fact that they let him play with the character, that he came uh, as a as doing something different. And and I, I love that. I just think there was it, it was used in such a way that that allowed me to get sort of exhausted by the back and forth and the way it worked. I, I want to absolutely agree with you, Steve. I think that that the 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 storytelling elements were some of the most fun. And when he was talking about aspect ratios and and all of those things, they were doing some really fun things on screen that just I thought were were fun. Oh, sure. Then you, re- you reference the conversation mm-hmm. and how you're going to do some lip reading. I mean, this is a movie about somebody that loves well, a character, at least. Yeah here that, that loves movies we even get the meeting at miramax with the uh man from uncle poster in the background so a film that's very much aware of itself and what it's doing so it was that self-awareness uh for me it was guy Ritchie sort of dialing it back a little bit uh from the frenetic energy you might see in like snatch and, and lock stock but for me it really worked because it was not a what we were getting was Fletcher's film. He was pitching his movie to us. And so it had some of those stylistic elements, but it wasn't Guy Ritchie. This was Fletcher's film that he's narrating to Ray. Right. So is it is it Fletcher? Is this Guy Ritchie making a Tarantino version of Get Shorty? <laughs> yeah, maybe something yeah, to be that, said that, to that, that a little that, bit. That's uh, an interesting interesting way to, to think about that, possibly, yes. Well, I do know they could have had it if they'd opened the trunk and it was just glowing and they never show you that there's a dude in there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think there is potentially an argument to be made, and I'm sort of chasing this like a hound, but that some of that energy drain, if you want to call it an energy drain, this you know the difference between some of of his old is that he cast Matthew McConaughey. 
Sure. As the lead, yes. and Matthew McConaughey is is, yeah. is so into the sort of slow, threatening class part of it that he kind of likes that that really even when Jason Statham was his lead, like in Snatch and things like that, it was at a different level. Yes, mm-hmm. he was coming. He always he had go, a go, had go. someone oh, yeah. to barter with, whether it was Tommy and Snatch or I don't remember in Lock, Stock, Two Smoking Barrels. Uh, but you know there was just a little bit more rat a tat, and there wasn't as much with this. Whenever he was just sort of talking alone, he was talking about jungles and lions, and it was all a little bit self satisfied and pretentious. So I think uh, that's part of it is that McConaughey took maybe the most obvious path. Which is okay, it works, and you need to ground the movie somehow. But I think that when you go to him and he's that slow kind of draw thing, that might calm everything down quite a bit. Well, for me, that's also the difference between something like Snatch, where you've got sort of a a chaos to the story. There's, there's, you know, there's chaos there versus here where you've got McConaughey, as he tells us at the beginning, to be the king, you've got to act like the king you've got to be in control of things whereas i'd say those earlier films is about characters that are in a world that's outside their control this is very much about for control yes and very much he is he's on top already he's on top of everything he's got you know power he's got authority he's got the money he's in a position where he's got these relationships so he's He's playing a big game. He's playing the long game and he's got control. And I think that's where. That's a really interesting point because Lock, Stock and Snatch are about, they center themselves around the people way down on the ladder. Yes. And usually yeah. the bad guy is the boss, is someone that needs to be toppled. That's interesting. But, which is interesting because, you know, we, we get a number of references to Coppola in, in this movie and, and, and specifically to the conversation as he snuck it in between the Godfathers. This is Guy Ritchie's Godfather, right? I mean, this is this is the story of the the king of the hill, right? The king of the mob. Yes. And we're going to see what happens when we put the Godfather in Guy Ritchie's universe and and it, Guy Ritchie's cinematic universe and see yes. just how it unveils. <laughs> and and um, so, you know, in that, you know, much respect. I I I like it. Well, see, and I like it, too, because I, I like I like an ultimate protagonist. I like the protagonist who isn't threatened throughout the film, even though the film leads you to believe that he is right. He's always in control that that's something that I enjoy in movies, having that sort of ultimate thing there. So if we look at this as uh, as organized crime, I mean, if this is the Godfather, does this. I don't want to compare it to that, but I, I, I really, and I brought it up in the intro a little bit. I really have a a little bit of difficulty listening to the pressures that organized criminals are putting on each other because it's so tangible in what's going on today in the world. I, I, it made me cringe a little bit while I was listening to them pressure each other in ways without saying the way that they were pressuring each other because I felt like, Oh, wait a second. This is this, this is actually real. It's not just art. And I don't know if, is this a change for me now in the way that I'm going to watch movies about the mob or about organized crime, because I'm a little bit unsettled at the way that things are happening in the world. How do you, how do you guys feel about that? Is there any sort of um, current events feeling that makes you feel differently? Cause there are people that this is their genre. This is what they see. They like organized crime. They like, they like watching crime on film. I don't know if maybe I'm changing the way I feel about that a little bit. Did it have that effect on you at all? What can't he ruin? <laughs> not you, JJ. Right. No, I'm I know not going to say. I'm not going to say the name, but yeah, <laughs> he's ruined the whole genre. He <laughs> shall not be named. Right. Well, I I think it, it as I thought about this was one that I 
afterwards, I, you know, the story was there, but then I started to think about on my drive home, what, what's, what's he trying to, what's the takeaway for me? What is the point that's being driven home or what are we supposed to be learning from this character? Is it just pure entertainment? Is it fun? But there were, there were enough pieces in here where I thought, is this sort of a different type of organized crime movie where we're looking at the businessman that is now in the position of power to really, you know, he's bailing out these, you know, uh, you know, the Lords, you know, these guys that have these huge estates and he's buying the, you know, fixing the roof for this guy. And it's about, for me, it's about how business has now come to dominate politics and po the power structure is, is flipped. And, and it's not, to me, it's not about necessarily crime because as he says, he tries to, you know, Mickey sets himself apart from, you know, other, he's got what he does, but what he does doesn't kill people, right? He just makes money and he's really good at that. He sees himself as an honest businessman. And it's, what's interesting is there's even the possibility that down the road when marijuana becomes legal, this is a legitimate business. So, but what I'm seeing Richie talk about is look at the power and influence that business has now in politics. And what, what does that do to things? And I think that's where I'm intrigued with what this film's saying. I 100% agree with that. And and for me, you know, remember that one of the central themes of McConaughey's characters, right, the king of the jungle uh, line is that it's only a crime until it's not, right? Until right. perceptions change. So you're buying a business that is absolutely criminal today. And in three years, you're going to be sitting on an absolutely legal gold mine because perceptions change. And I think that is probably the most interesting uh, uh, sort of thematic device at work throughout the movie. I mean, I, I think that is that's an interesting story that Richie brings. Yeah, and that makes me question my own feelings about all of those things, right? <laughs> I mean, because that's what we're faced with. We're faced with, no, this is not illegal. This is just the way we do business. Right. Yeah. That's what the that's what the debate is today. I didn't yes. do anything wrong. I was just right. doing a deal. Right. That's yes. terribly no, uncomfortable it, for me. Yes. But, yes, but it JJ, is, but... everything's different when you're dealing with the widow's weed of cheese time. Or what, did they, <laughs> no. what did they keep calling pot? It was ridiculous. Right. No. But then look at look at look at Colin Farrell's character, Coach. Yeah. Who's a guy yeah, like who a great character. And he's got these kids that he's trying to help out. He's got his gym. He's trying taking those kids off the street, trying to do something good for them and gets pulled into this thing. And he's really effective at what he does, but he makes it really clear. I do not want to be part of this. This right. is not, I'm not in this three strikes and I'm out and he gets pulled in for a couple more, but he's like, I'm done. This is not, I'm not interested in being part of this. And there's something about the honor and his character that, you know, was, I thought, really, really compelling to say he's not corrupted by the power and the the money and all of that stuff. He's got his world of what he wants to do, and he's sticking to that. Okay, and his group is called the Toddlers. The to Every that's time actually... I get out, try to get out, they pull me back in. It's freaking Coppola again. Yes. So that is the save the cat from Matthew McConaughey and Charlie Hunnam for yes. me, is yes. his ability to see the goodness in Colin Farrell, not just throw him to the dogs and say, got it, you're going to have to do some stuff for us, but then we'll do it. Because the helping out the lords and ladies at these giant mansions is a really weird save the sure. cat. That's yeah. like a Robin Hood for jerks. But yeah, but this so is, no. <laughs> so this is a story point though, right? Because the toddlers, this is one of the big wahoos at the end. The toddlers call up after, you know, Tommy, you give the four symbol, right? They, after, 
you know, Colin Farrell coach says three strikes and I'm out. And then he ends up doing the fourth. He saves Charlie Hunnam from the Russians. And then the toddlers call him. Yeah, I get confused this by this part a little bit. The toddlers, this is why I want to ask the question, because I want to see what okay. you guys think. The toddlers call him and they say, coach, we're going to get you out of this problem that you have. And they're all showing up at the distribution center right. of, yeah. of the pot. And they see Mickey, they see Matthew McConaughey get in the car. They don't know that he's being threatened by the Russians. So the toddlers, mm. I think, are messing up, right? The toddlers no. are intending to kill Mickey and all of his guys because they're trying to get Coach out of the obligation that he's given himself oh. to Mickey and, and they just missed. Nope, nope, nope. And they nope, just nope. are the toddlers. So they, of course, screw it up. Is Am I wrong? How am yes, I wrong? Yes, you missed something. Because okay. when there, there's, and I'll have to go back and watch again, but there's a point where Coach says something where he says, three strikes, I'm out. But we've only seen him do two things. Yes. He's helped him out two yes, things. And I right. think that I think the second thing is the toddlers taking out the Russians that they set that one up of they were working this and say, okay, we've got to help him out because we know this is going to and the fourth one was the two Russians that show up at Ray's place. But if so, okay, so but if that's the case. Yes. Well, no, because the, the actual third one is what coach does or at Ray's place with Fletcher. Right. That's the actual third one. Right. But that's if, the third one. If yeah. that's the case, if that's what the toddlers were doing, right. then how would they know as shooting just intermittent, like just everywhere into the car that they wouldn't kill Mickey? That's I what think, I, I just put I it think up they to. were trying to get coach out of his obligation to Mickey and Ray because they're mm. toddlers and they've keep screwing things up. I, I feel like this. We I can totally see that. First of all, I can see how you would how you could walk out with that. I, I also think that this could be. Um, an artifact of the way Richie plays with time and the way Richie yes, plays sure. with, you know, uh, lateral structure. And um, and so I'm I'm OK going either way. The way I saw the film was the way Steve described it. But uh, okay. but I can I could totally Me see too, I guess but uh, yeah. the yeah. way you, you get it. So then, OK, a couple other story points then with some of this stuff was dry. eye actually going to rape Mickey's wife. Yeah. I think yeah. so. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, that's wow. That mm -hmm. yeah, that not good, man. But what a great role for Henry Golding. Yeah, yeah. In, he needed a role his, like this in his young career yeah. to do something completely different. Because I actually really loved Crazy Rich Asians. We talked about this on our decade show. I think it uh, it was a great film. So that's I was unclear about that because they didn't push it too far. So I wanted to ask that question too. And someone brought up uh, we were talking about all the cursing, how you got desensitized to the cursing feet. Uh, I actually never noticed it, which is really unfortunate to me. Never um, noticed the cursing. No, I didn't get overwhelmed by it. Oh, okay. I think I expected okay. it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that yeah. You, so I wanted to ask Steve in particular because we talk about language sometimes with these movies. Clearly, you didn't bring your daughters to this movie, but no, um, oh no. But uh, but Steve, uh, you, you love the did, c word. So you, you did. <laughs> oh my gosh, you're a well, legendary fan, <laughs> right? But Steve, was it what? Uh, I don't even want to use the word excessive because it's a lot, but did it bother you and did it bother anyone else? I want to hear too. No, because I think yeah. it's, that's what I expect from Guy Ritchie and that's the world his characters live in. So I'm, sure. I'm used to that. And so that's, it, it didn't, wasn't shocking or overwhelming or anything. It was to me, it's just, it's that flavor of that world. And right. the C word is legitimately different in English. Yes. Over yeah. there. Yeah. Oh, it's hugely okay. different. Yes. It's just so yeah. much more. It does not yeah. have any of the weight that no, it has no. here. Right. Interesting. Yeah. 
Yeah, it didn't bother me either. I didn't actually notice it until I still after the movie and people started telling, yeah. oh, did you notice all the swearing? Yeah, I, I no, saw a little pre-roll or people talking about it ahead of time. So I was kind of gearing for it. And then I felt like, oh, it's a Guy Ritchie movie. Like exactly what right. you guys are saying. I It, it didn't seem different to me. Uh, Pete, you mentioned that we wanted to talk about the barbecue. You oh, you know, this is, this is a little bit of a fact and tidbit. I mean, it's it's kind of a, a last bit, but I learned in watching an interview with Charlie Hunnam. He nice. says uh, they, they did a, uh, they played a clip uh, of it was a talk show thing, and I except Myers maybe anyway, or and so they played a clip of the barbecue scene. He says, "Well, I've got a little wagyu in the in the freezer. Oh, I've never had that." And then he touches it. Oh, it's hot. Yeah. So, so Hunnam says, "You know what, Richie? That's his design oh. of that barbecue. Oh, really? He designed oh. that, and in fact, it's so much his design that he is now making and selling <laughs> these barbecues." For purchase, All I right, cannot find where you you can buy them online. They're clearly not being mass marketed yet, but stay tuned because uh, you huh. have to admit, like the industrial design of the house of of Charlie's character's house was was really cool, and I I uh, I really enjoyed it. There, I, I want to allow that to take us back to a character point, which I thought sure. was was just perfect for his character in particular. Um, I and I think this this is a maturing of Richie's uh, writing. That he actually allows some of the emotional instability of this character to come up in conversation, not necessarily in demonstration. When we get to see, you know, we're not, I, I don't want to set your OCD on fire, right? I don't want they start mentioning that uh, that his character is dealing with trauma and and um, and and they slow down long enough to let you actually uh, ingest a little bit, I think, or at least for me, to ingest what his character was going through that leads him to be in this sort of protected state underneath McConaughey's character and yet also continue to be a thug in his own unique kind of way. And and I thought that balance was really nice and I think more sophisticated than some of the, the, the characters that uh, Richie has written for us in the past. And Hunnam played it really well. Hunnam did some things where I don't, it's difficult to tell because there was the fake out, right? About everything that was going on versus what was not. I would need to watch it again to find out. But there were certain times when he was put under stress where he would have additional facial tics. Yeah, his eyes. And yeah. His eyes and, and different things that were going on. And I just think that's that's really it's a, it's really a strong performance to lend itself to exactly what you're talking about, Pete. This sort of maturity of writing of a of a of a character with more depth. And I think um, so. I haven't seen a lot of Charlie Hunnam. I think um, he and correct me if I'm wrong. He's Sons of Anarchy. Is that right? Yes, originally. Yeah. So and Queer and. Oh, wonderful. So I think I think it's really interesting to to see him here and understand why so many people are in love with this guy, because he is he was really fun to watch do that character. I thought it was he, great. he was he was also uh, in King Arthur uh, Guy Ritchie's King Arthur. That's how they okay. connected. Do you guys have any other experience with uh, Charlie Hunnam? Oh, yeah. Um, I uh, met him through the, the British the, version of Queer as Folk. The, there <laughs> yeah. you go. He plays, um, he plays, I'm not joking, he plays the younger guy that's adopted into oh, the group nice. in the British, which is where we got Queer as Folk. That was the first one. Uh, yeah, okay. that was before it. So that's, yeah. that's a long time that was ago. His, I believe that was his start. Cool. Pacific, Pacific Rim. Yep. Did you see right. Pacific Rim? Uh, Lost City of Z from a couple Lost years City ago. Lost City of Z, I like that yeah. movie. Yeah. Yes. Nice. Yes. Oh, yeah. Well, and you know, so and my experience with him being so fresh, like it's it's the opposite with Matthew McConaughey. I think you guys talked about right, like the sort of 
the slow intensity that you have in talking about the lion. I, I initially, when I saw the early parts of this movie, I was like, I also connected it to the Wolf of Wall Street and like, <laughs> oh, he's going to start banging on his chest. Like right. there were so many elements that pulled from different places, but I actually liked it. I think, I think his, and it might be just his performance or it could be the script of this character. I'm not sure, but it did feel like a maturing for me. I, my experience of Lockstock and Snatch in the you know end of end of the last century into the 2000s here was that it was clever, interesting, and fast, almost too fast for me. So this version of Guy Ritchie's style was actually, again, as it settled up for me, felt better. And a lot of that had to do with like these two characters, Charlie Hunnam and Matthew McConaughey, taking time with their roles and and giving depth to the characters that I didn't experience in those earlier movies. The camera also isn't as hyperactive. Yes. He's really has calmed down on that. So he's letting like Pete and uh, Steve were saying of some of the character stuff come through actually dialogue and performance instead of the camera always consistently telling us what to feel. He had some acrobatics here and then, but he also, I have never seen Guy Ritchie set up so many sort of Wes Anderson long shots. Interesting. Of like the very beginning of the movie. It's a beautiful shot of the pub and that huge menu of all the weird British things. Right. Right. And all of that stuff, we just stays on that for a while. Same with when uh, Charlie Hunnam first goes into his house and there's that really long shot with all the symmetrical stuff. He really like settled the camera down and instead made the set really interesting and the lighting really interesting. Whereas I wonder if he didn't either have the patience or just needed the camera to be so crazy. It was neat. I liked it. Now, Pete, you said you knew what was going on. Did you know that Mickey wasn't shot? I knew initially? that. Yeah. You did. Yeah, How did you know? Because yeah. they, they didn't show, they didn't, the, they they didn't show, show the body. Because yeah. they didn't show it. And you can't kill uh, Matthew McConaughey. You can't early. kill Matthew right. McConaughey. Yeah. And that was, I, you I know, that totally was actually, thought they did. And then uh, no. I thought they were just going to tell everything <laughs> no. in arrears. No. I, I'm, I, you know, and I was so happy that he didn't because I liked his yeah. character a lot. Yeah. But anyway, keep going. Well, I mean, I think, you know, there's some interesting places where they they try to subvert expectations kind of obviously. And I think the fight, the the fight porn is one of them that I thought, you know, when we first meet the toddlers, they go in and they're a bunch of dopes and they're stealing weed and it's fine. And then the the big British thugs, you know, the bruisers yeah. come in and 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 then they cut away real quick. And the second yeah. they cut away, I'm like, oh, well, that's because they're about to get their butts kicked by these young thugs and it's going to be it's going to be great because they all have their cameras and that's going to of course that's going to be how they they're going to do the, these aren't the kids. grime music yeah exactly exactly yeah. but but they allow us that uh they, they already show us the coach at that point demonstrating his prowess on some other young Turks. And so they get their butts kicked by coach. And so we already were supposed to expect that the youths are early, but of course they're going to upset those expectations. And I, and so I just feel like I saw that coming, but the real one was, uh, what's, uh, I've lost the character uh, or the Jeremy actor, strong? Jeremy strong. Oh yes. Bless yes. him. So sweet. Does he have to come off of so obviously diabolical quite so early? Like <laughs> the the moment they're sitting at dinner, I don't even think the credits are done and they're having that conversation at dinner. I'm like, he's going to do bad things. And it just every single like that. That means that every all of single your widow's twist, stinky cheese will be mine. Yes, right, right. And so when, you know, the I, I can't remember now what the I'm feeling like Tom right now where it's just vapor. The 
twisty scene where we're supposed to think it wasn't him, but it's so obvious it was him. At the stadium when what's-his-name is taping them? No. Maybe it was, God, there are so many of them. When Deadeye goes to Deadeye, Dryeye goes Dry to eye. his dad and yes. uh, they have their scene and they set up Dryeye. I, I think, it, unfortunately, in this regard, because he, again, called all of his shots so clearly that uh, it, it was just it, it was too easy to to see around the next corner. I, I found that part frustrating. One of the reasons that this movie, I think, evaporates is it pretends to be a super twisty thriller with all these twists and turns. It's actually very straightforward with a lot of noise. And then everyone is solved by people with seemingly endless resources who are able to always magically be exactly where they need to be at exactly the right time. So that's why it kind of, well, no, I enjoy it at the time, but then it goes away. There's no like oceans 11. (gasps) The whole time I was like, there's like, there's different ways and knives out. There's different ways of actually having so much more depth of story or twists this was we're going from a to c and then b got in the way like it's yeah. just not it's yeah. just not really that I, much i don't there. i didn't think this was a twisty thriller though i don't think it was because it was set straight again it comes it to how f- tell, no it pretends to be twisty no because so no because be no because fletcher's telling us straight up he's like look this is the deal i'm telling you i'm telling you this is what's going on and then we see things play out for me the the biggest shoe to drop that I was waiting to see what was going to happen was way back when, you know, kid gets pushed out the window and then it's like, okay, we've got a kid that's probably at a prep school and his parents have power and money. So who's that going to be? And I kept waiting for that to come back. Where was that going to show up? Cause I knew it was going to play into the end somewhere. I didn't know how. So that's where I was waiting to see, see that, which, which side that was, how that was going to twist. Cause I know what's going to happen. I know we're going to have, we've got uh, Matthew and Mickey and it's like, okay, this unknown third party, which side do they come on? How do they upset the balance and how do things get, Directed at the end. That's what sort of kept me on my toes. Cause I, yes, everything else with the whole plot, I know as soon as he starts to sell his company, yes, things are going to blow up, but I'm yeah. all for that. When, when the, the place gets robbed, right? When they find out, the I, I mean, yeah. I don't, again, yeah. like, you know who's behind it because we've only seen one character. Behind it. There's right. only yeah. one bad guy behind it. I'm, I'm with Tom. I think, Steve, I think you're, you're, you might be giving this a little bit too much credit. It, it pretends to be twisty in ways that it does not earn. So I, I really think so. And I think this is a great time to at least talk about the era of Knives Out. Like, I feel like that looking at that movie next to this movie is is a great sort of lesson plan for twistiness that knives out has said you know what we know that you're going to be able to pick apart the the what happened we know you're going to be able to do that so we're just going to tell you let's go ahead and right. get that out of right. the way i remember that and, part of the movie of yeah. knives out i was like do they know that I'm here right now? Is this like a short solve the murder? (laughs) What's happening? (laughs) Right. And so the, the, the upshot of that is we're going to spend the next 50 minutes and we're going to keep you riveted to your chair. If you are one like me, who was riveted to his chair uh, in the why and, and those motivations Mm -hmm. and the the diabolical sort of uh, uh, space that exists between the motivations of these characters, even if you know that who they're going to make the bad guy, because he was a superhero right. um it, it's it's going to feel rewarding because they're they're giving you 
substance to it. And I think that, to Tommy's point, may be why another reason why I feel like uh, it's it's vapor, that it, this felt like uh, substanceless on a, a number of levels that I felt like I was carrying some water for. Well, I think Knives Out is a modern Agatha Christie novel. And this is a modern Guy Ritchie movie. <laughs> like, that's, yes. like, like, I that, think that metaphor was a modern Guy Ritchie movie, right? Yes. Exactly. So, I mean, I think I, 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 it comes down to whether this is something you're looking for, and I think that you know some people are going to enjoy that. But I think you're right. I think Knives Out shows a lot more depth and a lot more uh, pathway in terms of uh, in terms of the way it's telling telling a story. It's 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 a new, interesting way to tell it. This is not that, but it is. Uh, again, it's it's that sort of, I guess, vintage Guy Ritchie is the kind of the yeah, way to look I at guess, it. Yeah, I guess I'll just say, I think, yes, Ryan Johnson set out to do a new twist on the whodunit. I think what Guy Ritchie did was, I'm going to tell my, you know, gangster story and I'm going to use some tropes from these types of stories. I don't think he set out to try to trick us. I don't because it, it's all so predictable. I think he's aware of that. I think he's using those as storytelling devices. Because I It is obvious and it's clear and you can track it because I'm not trying to second guess things. Uh, if I did, then I would have been wondering if Ray was the one that was secretly the puppet master behind everything. And that would have been, you know, a surprise twist that we would have gone with. And I think it was just more I'm using these common plot conventions within my sort of British gangster world to to create a story that's differently structured. So that's where I'm coming down on it. I'm not comfortable comparing it to Knives Out, but I am comfortable comparing it to Snatch, which was sure. so much sure. twistier. It had the same it had the same rhythm as this, but I didn't ever know where Snatch was going. And I always knew where this was going. I think also, that's part of the only about 60% of Snatch was actually audible. Any, so, yes. Like, <laughs> discernible. <laughs> Sorry, JJ. Michelle Dockery. That's a part of it. Uh, well, yes. I, yeah, I wanted to talk about some of the other a- actors here. Michelle Dockery, I... So I it was not someone who had seen her in her uh, TV stuff or earlier at work as well. So I had actually mistaken her because I really liked her accent that she used here. And it reminded me so much of uh, my Natalie from Love Actually that I was thinking <laughs> that, oh, my gosh, what happened to this woman? She looks so different now. But, uh, but as a result of that, I actually really liked her character and I loved um, all of the you know, part of what I like about Guy Ritchie is the novelty and the different things they bring in. This character had a lot of interesting things to her character that you could maybe dismiss as novelty because they didn't have to do with the story in that she was this ball buster who had a body shop that was almost completely uh, run by women. Um, and she had this interesting and powerful relationship with her husband, Mickey. I, I thought she was great and I loved her performance of this character. I liked her too. I got uncomfortable in that she was the only real female character. And there's a way of saying that he just wrote another man. Mm. Oh, meaning he's, she's just as tough as everybody is. Maybe that's a, I don't mean to, I don't mean to walk into something. See, I saw her more as a, like Lady Macbeth type character. Who's well, I'm not smart. I mean, that's what, that's the first thing that came to my mind of you've got a powerful woman who's like, who's right alongside guiding him through this. Cause she's the one that says, look, you've got to be careful. Everybody's going to be coming after you. She's yeah, the one I that's took the, the sharp business minded. When that's there was someone true. in the room she with her, cool. I thought yeah. she was going to be the bad guy. 
Ah, the thing oh. that you said you weren't wondering about Charlie Hunnam, I was wondering about Roz because she had such a control <laughs> over Mickey. Hmm. Yeah. All right. I don't know. I I don't know. I I struggle with that, uh, Tom. And I, I think we've had this conversation. Part of the part of it is that I it's so easy for me to buy into that perspective. And the other part of it is like as soon as you hang that particular flag, it becomes impossible to to write a strong female character, right? Because right. you can say it about all of them, all of, yeah. right? Oh, they're all just men written so they swear more and are bosses. But mm, yeah. really, like that's unfair. And I, yeah, I think for no, me, right. like right. it, it's uh, it, it's I, I actually really enjoy the way she played it, and I I um, I, I feel like. I like the agency that they gave her that she was busy doing other stuff, like running her yeah. own business. Like, right. right. I don't yeah. have time for this. Figure it out, honey. And then we get the brilliant moment where she gets to execute on the paperweight gag, which I actually right. thought that that was yeah. really well set up. And and the fact that they were just little tiny bullet holes in their heads was <laughs> I was yes. a laugh out loud kind of a scene um, leading up to something that could have been potentially really horrific. And and uh, um, but I, I would say her performance of that. That potentially really horrific that rape sequence when she says hello honey the way her face kind of lets go um, yeah, right. i think the way she played yeah. it is such that you know i i live in a criminal environment and this you know unfortunately criminals do incredibly horrible things to one another like i i i didn't get the feeling that it was that she was taking it as as um uh, you know, as something m more maybe than just like, you're going to do this to me and you will also get your comeuppance. And um, consequences were everything in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Pete, you mentioned that Hugh Grant kind of wore on you for a while there. I, I actually uh, bought into him pretty early. Um, I, I thought the accent was different than I had heard him do before that I, that I know of. Um, and I liked it. I kind of was along for the ride with his character because, uh, you know, I didn't see him as Hugh Grant. I kind of let him go, which uh, I, I think that this is Hugh Grant working with Guy Ritchie, right? Because yes. in The Man yeah. from Uncle, he did a somewhat yes. departure from what he's usually right. doing in his romantic comedy world, too. So I, I liked it. Did how, did how did it sit with you guys? How was Fletcher uh, particularly awkward and creepy? <laughs> I thought he was a lot of fun. I was a little uncomfortable with some of the maybe uh, homosexual references being used as sort of a laugh line. Uh, but uh, I thought he was really interesting. I thought he was neat. And he had some really funny parts. And he was yeah, also that, one of the two characters that got to say double bubble. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is. It's the it's the case of the Hugh Grant that we've all grown up with, which is like Hugh Grant as Hugh Grant versus Hugh Grant doing something different. So you get the sense of the actor that's there, that this is a different character. And so we did, you don't see that a lot because you can pick any Hugh Grant romantic comedy. And you're like, these are all the same guy. Whereas now this is somebody completely different. And so for me, it was refreshing and I, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Colin Farrell was the same way. Colin Farrell was completely yeah. different. Wasn't he? He was a lot of fun. Yeah. I thought he was yes. great in this. Yep. Oh Yeah. I, yeah, he's and, another he's a utility like they they built yeah. up the the and I, i'll say colin farrell but it really is colin farrell and the toddlers right i mean you when you look at their function in the movie they function as a unit and they're going to solve narrative problems to allow us to move smoothly to another sequence and you're gonna think that we're trapped but thank god we have this all-purpose multi-tool that is kung fu fight porn 
and it will solve all of the world's problems. And I thought that was, I, you know, you, I, I feel like that's an element that I can fatigue on pretty quickly. Uh, and and I thought it was used, it was used well, albeit they didn't turn up the sort of amplitude uh, or excess of of this particular tool. And I, I think I. Maybe I wanted a little bit more violence. Maybe I wanted a little bit more um, uh, sort of expansive grotesquerie of their their fight porn. And and I felt like he sort of turned it down from some other um, some past movies. Well, they did actually record the rap, and it uh, was oh, it's, in the ending. The ending it's, yes, and so, that song stuck yeah, in my head great. on the drive home, and was, I can't find it online. I'm dying to get that song. It's <laughs> yes. out there. It's out there somewhere. Pete, you mentioned the sleaze of Eddie Marzan. Um, he was, are, we talk, are we talking about the pig? Is that what we're talking about? Uh, oh my gosh! Oh is my that what you're talking about, Pete? Goodness. I don't know when <laughs> that was. Okay, I have to. We have to talk about this. I <laughs> so uh, first we? Eddie Marzan as as the sleazy publisher, right? And, and so in a Guy Ritchie movie, of course, this is okay. We're going to make everybody terrible, even in this case. The guy who has the keys to the castle for for setting right the world, right? Here's he. If we just publish this thing, we could topple a massive criminal industry. But no, we're gonna put that guy and we're gonna make him gross. He's gonna he's be tab, he's tabloid. He's so tabloid, yes. right? He's picking his butt in meetings. He's just generally a gross guy. And then of course, like they peak Eddie Marzan, he wakes up, he's covered in dirt in the back of a van. They have recorded him uh, having relations with a giant pig. And What drug uh, could that possibly have been? <laughs> That's not but, the widow's cheese. But I want to talk about I, I think yes. it's really important to note that this is the second, and I feel like we need to do some sort of a series or a grand study on the British affection with pigs and Black Mirror. Black yeah. Mirror. Oh my yes. God. I can't get that out of my yep. head. I felt like this yeah. was Four uh, Weddings th- and a Funeral. Is... <laughs> <laughs> I didn't actually finish it, but I heard Doubt Nabby, am I <laughs> yeah. right? Uh so I, I feel like that's uh that was a really uh it was fantastic, but but the payoff was, uh, I think, Colin Farrell showing the video to Charlie Hunnam and just the way he played that. I can't ever get that out of my head. I, I've got to live with that. I've got to live with that this forever. Can't unseen, right? This can't be unseen. Yeah. His okay. that whole uh, sequence was was brilliant. Yeah, I uh, I I think that is, and I think you know you harken back into the this person that we would think could be the the quote unquote good guy in this being the sleaze that's the thing that makes me a little tricky with this this is this organized crime this glorification of organized crime like who is our protagonist is the mastermind of a criminal enterprise yep so well it's, but it's his intentions are good he was it trying is, to it's reinvent a, it's a criminal enter- it, well criminal. it is it's a it's about morals now it's like i say coach has his code of ethics that he sticks to and he's an honorable man and and mickey's got his the way he operates his business and he is justified it in certain ways. But that is, I think one of the pieces of the story is people that have a code and de- that defines their behavior and that they stick to it. Um, and it, it is right and just, even though it may be misaligned with legal matters, at least, you know what to expect this whole, his whole organization, he and Ray, they operate as a business and, they are presented as good, honorable men that make honor right among decisions. Thieves. Yeah. Yes, right. exactly. Right. Yes. And I think that now what you're explaining here is an, an explanation to me for the reason why I don't understand why 
our country is so polarized right now. And it's because <laughs> it's because some people yeah. believe the message. It's honor among thieves. If I can well, no, get no, if I can get what I want the from the big person at the top, does it really matter what they did to get there? No, but but look at what Mickey's so doing. Like Why ends justify he, the means kind of thing. Well well, but what what is Mickey's end? It's not about having all the money and all the power. And this is the thing. When we look at um, you know, Eddie Marzen is what he, what, why is he such a despicable person? Why is he da- to take Mickey down? Because Mickey basically insulted him. And so now it's a personal thing. Whereas Mickey's objectives are, I want to sell all this so I can go and spend time with my wife. That's his ultimate goal. It's not about I'm, I'm power hungry and I have all this. He wants to do, he wants to live a normal life. And so this is where here, here. it's not, it's and not he's about gonna sell at a, at a discount to get there. Yeah. Discount. <laughs> right. So it's not about, Oh, you know, the, you know, ends justify Ruthless the means ambition. and all of that. Right. It's, it's what is the end result? Not, a corrupted end. It's an honorable end that that he is striving for versus the other characters where it's about greed and selfishness. This is a little bit, I'd say, not necessarily selfish because it's about doing something for his wife, right? So it's not about I'm doing this because I want, I want, I want. It's I have a desire for a more relaxed lifestyle, which who wouldn't want? And he gave right? that guy a roof. Yeah, totally gave <laughs> exactly. that guy a roof. Guys, Save the cat. who's a yes. lord. So he I, really needs help. He gave that Lord roof. Yeah, sell one of the Renaissance paintings behind you, you old mm-hmm. creep. I don't understand Lord. Okay. But but I think JJ in this country, it's you know America is very much about what do I get. It's always about me, me, me. What do I want? What do I get? I don't care about anybody else. This is right for me. And if you buy into the perception of what someone is selling you. You uh, are tending to look away from the other discretions of their past. And that's something that's really difficult about our society right now. And when we talk about purity tests and things like that, it's really difficult. And that's why in watching this movie, the organized crime thing hit me in a different way. And I don't want it to. I want to just have this be the evaporative fun that Tommy's talking about here in the Guy Ritchie style. And I really hope that other movies don't (laughs) do that to me. Nope. (laughs) You've been broken. uh, well, no, it's I th- it's I will always say if somebody's taking the time to do something, there's something that they want to say with it. I will always say there's always Guy Ritchie has something. Look at what it may not be totally conscious because this is the other thing with, I think, great art. There are pieces of the artist's subconscious that come through. And so the the choices, the characters that he rewards, the characters that he punishes, he's making moral decisions and he's pushing out a certain perspective, point of view and, and moral framework. So it's it, you can say it's just entertainment, but you dig deep enough. And I always say it's going to tell you something about what this person is saying is right in the world and what is wrong with the world. Yeah, you may be right about that. Uh, do you think that the toss away to the sequel towards the end is actually a possibility for this thing? Is is no. Guy Ritchie leaving that door open? No, isn't that it, aren't they contractually money, obligated think, to always have a door oh, or have course, an out? Of now I'm sure they. Are. I feel like you can make up your own door yeah. these days. I feel like if but, he's going to do a sequel, we need another man from Uncle. That's what we need if he's going to do a sequel. I, I don't disagree with you there. Yeah, and maybe we'll get another Bond uh, intro reel like we Aladdin two. <laughs> if the, if there's nothing else that you guys want to say about this movie, I think maybe it's time that we rank it. The gentleman scheme and plot full steam so quickly you can't outflank it. So gentle then we should probably be as we begin now to rank it. Flick chart. Beautiful. Classy, right? Less, so classy. Okay, bruv. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> we've got all the movies we've talked about on this show ranked over at flickchart.com slash TNR film board. Flickchart is a really cool site where you can create a tournament style stack ranking of your movie preferences. So check it out and find out how your film favorites fare against ours. Okay. I, I feel like this is actually a perfect first pairing. Where do you stand between the gentleman and Kingsman, the golden circle? Kingsman, the golden circle. My name's Tommy. What? Uh, what? Gentleman for me, for Wait, sure. Really? Wait, do you two. remember that one? Which the one golden circle's that? the second one. Yeah, I liked right. it. Oh, yeah. yeah. The, that's when our <laughs> friendship started withering on the Is that vine. what happened? <laughs> Oh, Steve, where were you? Tommy, I'm going to go with gentlemen. Right, I'm gentlemen too. Just throw and how about the gentleman versus Captain America: Civil War? Ooh, Civil War is the big battle royale at the airport. Um, I think I got to take Civil War. I'm going to say the gentleman just to make Darnell angry. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what Tommy said about the gentleman is how I sometimes feel about most of the Marvel movies is that it's just afterwards you have a great time, but afterwards it's there's not as much substance there. Thanos so snapped. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go with the gentleman. Hmm. Mm. Do we have a tie, Pete? We do. I'm Civil War. Okay, yeah. uh, Pete and Steve, can you guys do a uh, 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 brochure? I on that? can try. I'm not going to end well. My my streak is fully broken. Okay. How do we do this? I'm going to just keep I'm, going. I'm right? going to count. And if we, okay. if it's the same, we just keep going. Just we keep don't going. count again. Right. Ready? If right. Pete loses, okay. then the winner what? is 2001. Shut up. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> and, and one, two, two three, three, scissors. Paper. Rock. Scissors. Ugh. All okay. right. Civil War wins. Pete. That was a, that was a nightmare. Yes. <laughs> but I got to win. Yeah, hold on. All right. Uh, how about, oh dear, the gentleman or demolition? The gentleman. What? Yeah. You guys yes, are the full of surprises tonight. Settled yeah. up. Settled uh, up for the, me. Yeah, the gentleman. I need to see demolition. I think I'm going to say, I certainly felt stronger at the time about demolition. So I'm going to say demolition. I, I am also too. demolition. Okay, Tommy and, and me, we'll try this. Okay, ready? Yep. One, two, three. Paper. Rock. <laughs> Tommy, <laughs> so demolition takes it. <laughs> All right. How about the gentleman? Or now you see me. The first one. Now you see me. <laughs> I unapologetically like both of those movies, um, and I unapologetically own both of those movies. And I keep totally. saying the word unapology, and that's not yeah. nice. <laughs> I'm going to take the gentleman. Okay. I'm taking the gentleman. I'm taking now you see me. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Okay, uh, wait, that's... I think it's me and JJ, then. Okay, great. You lead, Pete. Oh, one, two, three. Hey, Brock. Pete! Now you see me goes again. Wow. I want to play Pete's lottery. The gentleman has just lost every (laughs) Rochambeau, so the fate is not doing it well. What's next, Pete? Uh, This is about as twisty as the movie. You know I despise Rochambeau. But do you know if Steve liked Looper? (laughs) <laughs> the gentleman or Looper? Steve don't like Looper. Or like Looper. The gentleman. Uh or Looper? Looper. Looper. The gentleman. <laughs> this Steve is a row. And off. Steve is picking. 
The gentleman? I became the gentleman, yes. Okay. This is so Steve Nolik Lupa. Tommy and Steve, go. Okay. <laughs> Ready? Ready. One, two, three. Paper. <laughs> Pete and I are unstoppable. Oh, the gentleman it's, just it's won like, again. I've got, I've got that. I've got that Martin Simpson, the good old reliable rock. Yeah. Nothing beats rock. Oh, no, the Looper won that the one. Looper won the Looper won that one. The Looper won that one. lost four in a row. Keep going. <laughs> Hold on a sec. I chose the wrong one. Okay. Oh, no, I did it wrong. Undo. Go back. So Looper yes. won that one. Yeah. Uh, yes. How about the gentleman versus <laughs> Jurassic World? The gentleman. The gentleman. Oh, no. <laughs> I know what Tommy's going to say. I've got to say Jurassic World. Rawr, yeah. Baby Stegosaurus <laughs> for the win. Uh, I stand relieved that Andy is not here because <laughs> I am going yes. to say the gentleman. Thank you. All right. All right. <laughs> okay. How about that? The gentleman <laughs> is now number 40 on the TNR okay. flick chart. And uh, the worst performing Paper, Rock, Scissors movie of all time. <laughs> no, no, no. 2001. 2001 is still a record, mm, I think. Well, it just lost four in a row. I don't know. Yeah, about well, that. that's pretty impressive. Uh, okay, how did you feel about it stars-wise? I'm a three and a half and a like on that one. Yes, I'm also three and a half and a like. If it's out of five, I will say two and a half. Right down the middle. The algorithm uh, at flickchart.com says this should be a 2.5. It's a 55%. Uh, and so it should be a 2.5 star. I'm actually with JJ and Steve on this. I came out of it saying... It's fun. It's a lot of fun. Most of it worked well for me. And even though I felt like I figured it out and it's a pretender in the twisty twisties, uh, I it was still worth it to me to have seen it. I'm not going to hurry back to it. It's not my favorite of his, but it's 3.5 and a heart for me. Well, hopefully Guy Ritchie listens to this show and he knows now to use twisty twisties as an next <laughs> euphemism yes. for pot in the sequel. <laughs> well, where do we go from here? Next month on the film board, we are going to try to see Guns Akimbo, which was a, uh, a trailer pick from Pete right on the Saturday matinee. A few months ago, it's uh, got Daniel Radcliffe and it looks like a wild Black Mirror gunfight movie. It's only in limited release in February, though, so we're going to make sure that it's in every city that we are in so we can try to make that work. Uh, that is the last week of February. February comes out February 28th. We can make that work. Uh, Pete. For the main show, the next reel, what are you guys doing? What series are you on right now? Uh, let me see here. So what have we just finished? We're we're actually just wrapping up this week uh, the Colin Higgins series. Colin Higgins, yeah. uh, writer-director. So we've, we, if you've been listening along, we started with Harold and Maude, Silver Streak, Foul Play, uh, 9 to 5, just went live last week. And this week, uh, the day after tomorrow, as you hear this, we're going to be doing uh, the best little whorehouse in Texas. Burt Reynolds does sing. Uh, and so after that, though, Week after, this is big week. It's our Guilty Pleasure series. Oh, and fun. so we're starting off with uh, Hudson Hawk, followed up by Andy's uh, more recent Guilty Pleasure, Life of the Party. Nice. And, then and then just porn. <laughs> oh, God. So now, guilty. <laughs> we also had a special release in the feed uh, just this week, didn't we, Pete? Did we, we sure did. Uh, actually, it, it, a bit? it just dropped uh, yesterday. It was a very special, a VSP, very, or VSE, a very special episode uh, where we talked about uh, Tommy's movie. 
That's me. Uh, I directed a movie, everybody. You sure did. The whole time. It's called, (laughs) the full title is 30 Nights of Sex to Save Your Marriage. It is currently available for streaming on Prime Video or Tubi, T-U-B-I, if you have that. And you can also get it on DVD at Amazon, Target, and Barnes & Noble, which is still a thing. (laughs) <laughs> which is awesome. My copy is going to be delivered the first week of February. I just got notified today. So all I'm right. very excited. Oh. Excellent. Uh, I forgot to talk about it in our show open, but all you wonderful people out there in the world should come hang out with us on our Discord server at thenextreel.com. Let us know you want to hang out with us. And uh, we gather there with our fun film folks and discuss lots of remarkable things from throughout the entertainment universe. There's also specific chats about all of our shows. So come join our gang and interact with us on the internet. That's where we will keep the conversation going. But for this one, say good night, Pete, right? Good night, JJ. See you later, Tommy Hanson. Double bubble. <laughs> and one last word <laughs> from Steve Sarmento. Hondo. At the next reel, when the movie ends, the conversation begins. Till next. Here on the film board, we have covered quite a variety of great page-to-screen adaptations over the years, from superheroes like Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight Rises, based on stories like Nightfall and The Dark Knight Returns, to horror and sci-fi like Max Brooks's World War Z and Hiroshi Sakazuraka's All You Need Is Kill, which became one of our favorites, Edge of Tomorrow, with Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. And who could forget Andy Weir's stranded astronaut adventure, The Martian, or Dave Eggers' tech thriller, The Circle? Supposedly so much better than the movie. We've also explored Stephen King epics like The Dark Tower and It, biopics like Damien Chazelle's First Man, and sweeping sagas like Denis Villeneuve's take on Frank Herbert's Dune. And don't forget Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, based on David Grant's nonfiction book about the 1920s murders of the Osage Nation. I just finished the book, and it's fantastic. It's always fascinating to look at the source material, and we often do as the book lovers we are. For those of you out there who love to do the same, head to thenextreel.com slash originals to find all of our past episodes and dive deeper into these adapted stories. And it's not just stories. We've included things like the video games Uncharted and Detective Pikachu. That's right. Thenextreel.com slash originals is your one-stop shop for in-depth looks at the sources for cinematic adaptations that we have discussed. Every purchase you make supports the film board and The Next Reel's family of shows. So what are you waiting for? Head to thenextreel.com slash originals and get your next read today. (laughs) 